go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places. Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com/network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. Everyone, uh, Andy Richter here, uh, podcasting yet again. I'm actually in uh, the uh, uh, Conan O'Brien Memorial Studio. Oh no! What happened? <laughs> Where I just, did he go? Well, I don't know. He's just not here today, okay, so it's fine. Memorial. We That's have fine. to th- we have to think about him in the past tense. Um, <laughs> and I want to tell you, this one today is not going to pass the Bechdel test because we are talking about Conan all the time. Okay. Uh, no, we aren't. Okay, I'm kidding. Good. No, I'm kidding, because we're not really going to. No. Um, but, you know, I mean. Cause, we, he uh, might be more boring to the two of us than to anyone else. I know. That's the thing. maybe his family. No, absolutely. That's the thing. And I do feel like, uh, by the way, I'm, I'm uh, talking to Liza Powell O'Brien, uh, who's here today to promote both her new podcast mm-hmm. and her play? Oh, isn't okay. it? Your, aren't well, your it's that's over, but we can talk about oh, it. Oh, sure. but I mean, isn't it going <laughs> to play? You. You're not going to. It's hope. not going to run anywhere else. Listen, if anyone out there would like to produce it, please contact me. <laughs> well, I would, but I'm okay. broke because somebody's show ended. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that what happened? Yeah, that's oh, what happened. No wonder. Um, no, but uh, uh, wait, where were we? I was going to say something um, about uh, uh, what were we talking about? I, uh, I lost uh, it. Conan. Oh, about Conan. <laughs> right, right, right. No, because I, I, uh, I, I mean, I, you know, there is. It is tempting to. Oh, you said oh about him being boring, boring. right? Yeah, to other people. Yeah, it is. I do feel in many ways. Like I'm his TV wife. You're his oh, real yeah. life wife, and I'm his TV wife. Yeah. Um, because being with him for all those years definitely gave me, like, it, it made me very sympathetic towards the things that my ex wife would go through hmm. at parties or out in the world oh, of just kind of. All this attention being on me and then her kind of a like, oh, hi, right. you know, to her and right. then me, 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 me. Right. And there would there that would happen. It would it was astounding. I mean, first of all, he's a parade float. He can't be incognito. <laughs> you know that one time he, I think he's talked about this, but we were in Seattle in the winter where it gets dark at four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And he would take these obsessively long bike rides in the dark, in the rain, maybe to escape my family. Who can mm-hmm. say? Maybe and, to porno shops. Mm, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was once um, on the bike with the helmet and, like, you know, glasses so that the rain didn't get in his eyes. And it was dark, and he was maybe 50 yards away from a car. And he thought, well, now I'll be, you know, yeah. anonymous. 
Hey, Conan. Like people driving by, just he is instantly yeah, recognized. Yeah, I don't know. It, yeah. In a ski helmet, you he can tell he is. And yeah, and especially without a hat on, then he's really. Well, forget that. But yeah. there were so many people that used to say, come up, at, like he, if he and I are out in the world, come up and say, I love the show. I watch it all the time. Can I get a picture with you? And then, okay. And then just like hand the camera to me. Right. And you are. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I'd be like, I, it, I mean, in some ways I understand it because I just, I can understand like the weird, having experienced people meeting me and think and saying, you're Andy Dick. Oh and like, my God. well, and being like, what? 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 How do you get, I mean, Right. And then realize it's just something with the name. Yeah. But then sometimes they really do think like you're Andy Dick. You were on the Ben Stiller show or, right. you know, like right. I don't. And you're people, wrong if you try and controvert that. Right. You're well, like, actually, no, they're, they like, no, 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 you were. they're just well, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes they're weird that way. But other times it's just the synapses get all mm-hmm. screwed up because they get excited. So I never took offense to it. And also I, I'm fine with. Not a lot of attention. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and is that is mm. that something you've, I mean, are you fine with mm-hmm. not a lot of attention? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I yeah. don't know what to do. I, the first time that I went to the Emmys with him in 2000, I was so nervous about being scrutinized because I'd never been in any kind of public view at all. And I... Got out of the car. Was this when you are just dating? Yeah, we were just dating. Are you dating. engaged or just? No, no, just yeah, dating. Yeah. We have been dating like four months. Yeah. Or some, or, I don't know, six months, something like that. And, um, you know, you get out of the car and there's that gauntlet of all the stands of the people screaming. And mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't been in a long time. I don't know if it's changed, but, um, you know. Yeah, they're on bleachers. They're on bleachers. and they're In the hot sun. And they're making a lot of noise. Yeah. And the photographers and all the handlers. And I instantly realized oh, I could burst into flame and not only would nobody notice, yeah, yeah. they certainly would not put me out. Right. Like, <laughs> I am so beside the point here. And it was actually a great relief because I, you know, when people say like, what's you, what superpower would you love to have? I always wanted to be invisible. Like yeah. that would have made me feel so comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was tall early, so I was not usually invisible. Um, and uh, so, so in some ways, I, he's my invisibility cloak, which I love. Yeah. So I feel much less self-conscious. Right, right. Around him. Now, you're from uh, Seattle. I am. The Seattle area or Seattle, Seattle proper. proper. Seattle yeah. proper. And um, kind of a fair uh, – you, you have a number of siblings, don't you? Just the one. Oh, just one. Yeah. Okay. And mm-hmm. older, younger? Younger. Younger. Um, so – and what do your folks do? I know I, this is well, all like, both, you know, it's been COVID's been a long time. So, yes. Um, my mother was a therapist. Mm-hmm. She's retired now. My father also retired. He was an insurance broker, uh-huh. but he's also a jazz musician. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's a fun combo. It is. Yeah. 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 So he and I asked him once why he didn't because he's quite good and said, why did you not, you know, try to do that for a living because in our era, you know, everyone's got a dream, everyone's got passion, everyone's got a creative outlet. And he said, you know, the day you have to get up and do the thing you love, you kind of stop loving it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And which may have just been a justification of I'm 
you know, need Could the security be. of an right. IRA. Or right, whatever. right, yeah. Um, but uh, what did he? What does he play? He mostly plays guitar and uh-huh. banjo, but he can kind of play anything. Oh my god! Did he? And, do they get into jam sessions and stuff? He, well, it's Dixieland jazz. Oh, so a little okay. less freeform. Right, but, right, right. But he does have friends who he plays with, where they'll have musical conversations a little bit. And, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Nobody else is involved. Right, right. We don't speak that. Right. Well, and yeah, because Dixieland is. Uh, it's a little more structured than it's. It's structured, but it is like it's a jam. You know, it is very yes. jammy. It's yeah. as jammy as a lot of rock and roll, is yeah. a lot of blues, uh, but kind of like almost more difficult than most of those things. There's almost like a classical. That that you know, might be lots true. of notes, a lot of notes, yeah. and charts, and uh-huh. um, but there's something kind of courtly about it too that they all take their turns, you yes, know, with yes, their solos, yes, yes. and. Um, I think that's such a cool tradition amongst all musicians and probably every, you know, every genre. Yeah, yeah. um, When there's any kind of improvisation. But, um, but yeah, jazz, sometimes when I think of jazz, I think of bebop and, you know, Charlie Parker and, or free music, free yeah, jazz, yeah, yeah. a whole other thing. And, and this is a little bit more like you have to know the the standards and you Mm -hmm. have to know who came before you and what the famous versions of it are and all that stuff. Right. But. And you like play someone else's solo. Right. And you're, you stick to the notes that whomever thought of it. I don't know about that. Oh, you don't know that? Yeah. I mean, I, think I, mean they, I don't know. I'm, yeah. No, you know, I think they I'm I think acting they do. like I know things. Yeah, that's, I think they that's improv. served me well. We could get them on the phone and solve this all just really, <laughs> really fast. Eh, you and, know what? Eduardo's, Dixieland doesn't Eduardo test well. Eduardo has worked with my father before because <laughs> Oh, he, really? Yeah, because in one of the episodes. Eduardo's a producer, uh, sound te- engineer. you know, sound engineer here. Yeah. Whatever, you know. <laughs> Say you're a producer. I'm a, we'll yeah, tell yeah. you what you are. No, he, um, we were working on the Nabokov episode and- um, Dan Bukatinsky, who voices Nabokov, wanted to do the accent, which is uh, incredibly challenging because Nabokov had a really bizarre accent. But then he also – there was a poem that we were reading the translation of, and I wanted the to underlay the, the original Russian mm. of it. And Dan doesn't speak Russian, so my father, who majored in Russian in – Oh, wow. In, well, he got – yeah, he got a master's degree in it um, in Slavic languages. And uh, and so we got him on a Zoom so he could coach Dan on the sort of phonetic pronunciation wow. of this Russian poem. That's the, great. But the best part was I, I, I texted my dad and I said, would you be available for this? <laughs> it was like 9.15 in the morning. He said – I'm about to eat. I'm about to start eating breakfast. How about noon? I was like, first of all, why are you eating breakfast two hours and forty five minutes? Also, I'm on the Zoom with like the actor who's doing this job for us. Like, no, I'm not going to say. Could you come back in two hours? So he. Ate quickly, I guess, and was able to join us. Before <laughs> yeah, he we wolfed it up. down in an hour. That's right. You know, that's exactly did, right. Did you know my dad uh, taught Russian? That, I didn't know that. Yeah, my dad, uh, or he, he's retired now. Um, but yeah, he uh, taught Russian in, uh, at Indiana University. Oh wow! For thirty plus years. Did he ever and, live there? Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, he would go every year. It was oh, a wow. group. He. From even, you know, pre-breakup of the Soviet Union days, he started Mm -hmm. and he would go every summer with a group of students and they would study for a while and then they would travel the rest of the time. So he's done lots of traveling. He has a lot of friends there. Um, And his 
his specific focus was phonetics. And he said that when he was in, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm taking his word for it. But uh, when he was in Russia, that he said only his clothes would give him away as a non-native speaker. And that lots of people wouldn't believe that he was a non-native speaker. Yeah. So where, was he born in America? Yeah, he he was, he's from Springfield, Illinois. Uh And uh, he went. The great Slavic outpost. Exactly. Um, And he's, you know, German and French. Uh Um, His dad's German, his mom's French. And uh, I mean, not, you know. American, they're all you know from coal miners wow. because Central Illinois had a bunch of strip mines sure. for many years, and uh, he went. He started school, and he was in. Um, he was doing choral music, and so he was a music major at DePaul University mm-hmm. in Greencastle, Indiana, and told me that he got there and hated music majors. Like, didn't right. want to be around music majors. Found them to be pretentious bores, huh. so he dropped out. Was going, I think, to community college mm-hmm. back in Springfield and decided that he better join the Army before he was drafted. So wow. he what year tested. Is this? this is in the 50s. Uh-huh. He, uh, he took uh, the, the aptitude, the language aptitude. Yep. It was just past the Korean War because he didn't have to go to war. Okay. Um, and he took an aptitude test and scored incredibly high in language. And uh-huh. so they sent him to Monterey uh, to the language school. That's yeah. a, is a big military language school. And it, he said it was the most beautiful place that he'd been, that he was like, which language, which studying which language will keep me here the longest? <laughs> and they said, Russian or Chinese? And he said, okay, Russian. Like Chinese wow. seemed too daunting. Uh-huh. And that, and it gave him his vocation. That is fascinating. And kind of his avocation too, because he... He's a published author of like definitive phonetic texts of Russian songs for English singers, like <laughs> Rachmaninoff songs. Oh, incredible niche. I have them all at home in my shelf. And it's uh-huh. like, but, it, and, but apparently they're indispensable. He, if and you're, he owns that. It, yeah. He's it, the guy. If you're a, if you're a. An English-speaking opera singer, and you need to sing some some Tchaikovsky songs, uh, which I who knew they were Tchaikovsky songs. You got to get his book. So, oh, that's fascinating. Um, yeah, so he's he taught Russian for many many years, and Is so that I the grew only up, language that he learned besides English. Uh, he can he understands a number of them, like most of the Slavic languages. He can understand. He's sort of basically yes. conversant in, and he know you know he can hear German and and understand it. Uh, and French too. There was a great but, piece in the. Um, I feel like it was in the Washington Post about this guy who's a super linguist because they're studying his brain, mm-hmm. and he's a. I think he's like a vacuum repairman or something. Yeah, but he has this incredible facility, and he speaks eleven languages just for fun. He just picks yeah, them up, yeah. and he's studying more. That and, seems so exhausting. <laughs> I know, but also like. Talk about a superpower. Yeah, no kidding. Cool. I know, I know. I just, you know, I wasted all mine on like French and German. Like, why didn't I do Spanish? Uh, Listen, you know, mortified that I don't speak Spanish in Southern California. I know it's. It's It would make life so much easier and fun and enriching. And uh, you know, I mean, I guess I could do it now, but you know, it's harder now. Well, there's 
30 other fucking things on that list that I, <laughs> that I don't do that on a daily basis. I go you know, like, yeah, I'll get to that later. You know, when I grow up. Uh, My high school didn't even offer Spanish as a language. No shit. What did Isn't they, what was it? Is it a public school or? No, it was a private school and I think it was oh. a, a class thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had Latin and Japanese and German and French. Um, and I don't know if they had anything else, but uh, no Spanish. Of course. Yeah, no. And this. You know, yeah. you know, why would they? I wonder if they've changed that. Mm, we'll probably. Yeah, who knows? Put that on your list. Go find out. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Can't you tell my loves are growing? Well, what kind of kid were you when you were younger? Mm. Were you, I mean, you said you grew tall. Yeah, I was taller early. early. And that mm. is like, it's incredible it's how some of those things can be so formative on, yes. on your personality, you yes. know? And there are people who are desperate for attention. And those are usually not the ones who are yeah. born tall early. Um you know, I was I was self-conscious. I mean, it's funny because my mom, being a therapist, would talk about people's psychology a lot. And I think because she would never talk about my psychology to me, because that would be weird. Um, so I just didn't think it applied to me in this way. And I remember thinking when I was like six, I wonder, because she was talking about someone's personality. And I was like, I wish I had a personality. <laughs> 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 I just thought I was Someday, so hun. boring. Yeah. Um, and maybe I was boring. I don't know. But um, I was a kid who who really loved to act as grown up as possible, not in like fast ways. But um, when I was, I remember being three and sitting next to my preschool teacher at the like playground and everyone else is playing on the playground. And I'm sitting next to her trying to like copy the way that she's crossed one leg over the other and like looking mm -hmm. at what she's wearing and like, oh, I'd like a blouse like that, you know. <laughs> and, and I remember asking her how old she was. And I think she was 33 or something. I was like, yes, that is the perfect age. I mean, what a weirdo. <laughs> Who, when they're three, wants to be wants a to be fully 33. adult. Yeah, yeah. Like, enough of this business on the playground. Yeah. I'd like some keys and I'd like a bank account. I kind of... Get that like though. Responsibility. I couldn't. I couldn't get out of childhood fast enough. Really? Because I was just so. 
I think, so aware of the powerlessness of it all mm. and mm. and the lack of respect that you're afforded as a child. Right. You know, like what you want, who fucking cares? Right. Do as you're told, you know? And I just couldn't wait to get out of that age. And also just, you're such a slave to like- Everything. This tempest of emotions and hormones oh, and madness, you know? Everything and, seems so crazy. Yeah. I know. I, ha- I try to remember that when, when I was- um, uh, in my twenties, actually, when I met Conan, I was I was um, I had been taking cello lessons. I I played the piano, but I had always loved the cello. And mm-hmm. I was stuck with the piano because that's what we had, right? So I couldn't I couldn't play the cello. So I took it up when I could in my twenties, and um, and then moved to New York City from Seattle and did not have a cello to bring with me. And it was actually the first gift Conan ever gave me was a cello. Oh which was wow! Incredible. But anyway, I started taking lessons um, in New York City, and so I'd work all day, and then I would come home and I would schlep my giant cello around the Upper West Side to the you know apartment of this guy who had been like first chair in the symphony or something. Yeah, yeah. And um, and spend an hour with him trying to learn this this instrument that I had never played. And I got home and I was like, no wonder you're exhausted as a kid. This is what you're doing on every front. You're learning yeah. everything all the time. Yeah. And I realized like, oh, I can't do that and have a job and, you know, be a grown-up person. Um, and I don't remember why I started talking about that. Well, no, it just, you know, processing the information of, of music is, yeah. It's a lot. It's exhausting. Yeah. Well, and, it, and it, Well, and I was going to say, because we what we were saying was about kind of the tempest of youth. Yes. And I want, I, cause, and you brought it up again and I wanted to get back to it. Having a therapist mom mm. sounds like it could be beneficial or a freaking nightmare. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I'll just say that the strangest person I've ever met had two psychiatrists for parents who were divorced and remarried to psychiatrists. So he had four psychiatrists as parents. Oh my Truly goodness. bizarre. Um, so that's the joke, of course. But yeah, you know, I I, I think um, in a lot of ways it's very lucky um, because you know she was also particularly interested in child psychology, so she was yeah. very focused on making sure that kids, you know, kind of you can um, buffer some of what you're talking about in terms of everything being out of your control and mm-hmm. overwhelming and you know stuff happening in your body that you don't understand and. And she was very sympathetic to all of that. Um, and then, and then there comes a point where you can't, you can navel gaze too much, you know, and you can yeah. sort of wonder about the you of it all too much. And yeah. I think I might have fallen into that trap a little bit. Not, not it wasn't her fault, but, um, but I did come with this, this sort of um, assumption that psychology is at the root of everything, and that it just fixing that or thinking about that or talking about that is the way to make everything better and you know it has its limits so. right of course it does yeah I, I i i relate so much having been to uh i you know a, a gazillion hours of of therapy mm-hmm. uh you know between that and private school uh <laughs> i'd have a freaking beach house and a boat uh, <laughs> if i hadn't spent money on all of those things um but instead but, you have a pristine inner yeah, Psyche? I'm 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 totally perfectly put together. Yes, I mean it's, right. it's obvious. Just spend three minutes with me. I mean that guy <laughs> that guy's got it going on. <laughs> um, you know, I mean he can't put down the fork, but besides that, yeah, everything's great. Uh, 
No, because I, I, it is like, like my mom was really open to therapy and encouraged our, fa- you know, we went to like family mm-hmm. counseling, mm-hmm. Um, which just got me in the process of being comfortable with the talking cure, as yeah, they call right. it. Um, but I, but it's like, like the same thing that you say, like somebody that had two psychiatrist parents, like to me, I think when psychiatrist, like, cause I've known some pretty cuckoo kids of shrinks uh-huh. and a, a, a couple, you know, like couple three. Uh-huh. And I, to me, it struck me as like the way sometimes, and I think it's probably more a romantic fictional notion, but how kind of like cops can easily go to the other side to crime. Like they're attracted to crime right. and they decide to be on this side of the right. business, but they could easily break through <laughs> to the other side to uh-huh. where you're committing the crimes. Yeah. And I feel like with craziness, that's with right. shrinks. They're like attracted to craziness. Right. And it's because like, well, yeah, because they have, it. yeah, you also have, you're a mental criminal, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, that's right. You but inflict it on degree. your children. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, the, and, and, and I think, I mean, there's probably a lot to be broken down to between which type of mental health professional you choose to become. Um, and, a, a psychoanalytic social worker, which is what she was, um, to me, and again, I might be a little biased, but seems sort of like I want to be well-informed and helpful, but I don't necessarily want to, you know, um, mess with your brain chemistry or, you know, uh, the, the psychiatrists that I've known um, and that she's known, some of them are amazing, brilliant yeah. people, and some of them uh, should be in jail, yeah. you know, um, and – I mean, I guess that's true probably of any profession, but I bet you there's a higher percentage of psychiatrists who are reprehensible. Uh, yeah. It, I mean, Let's find out. It's, Add it to your list. <laughs> it's got to be a, I mean, there has to be a bit of a God complex to it. Right. You know, because you are really getting in there and stirring around in in people's brains and, you know, and scraping the sides of the bowl and- <laughs> But and then also you have, but you also have like the gravitas of a medical degree, and that makes means you know everything, and you know right. you're not just like, you know, like a psychologist is more just kind of like a sensitive person that read a lot of books. Right. You know, I mean, I guess a shrink is the same thing, but it's you know, yeah, it does. It just has more. And I think there's a lot of um, um, there are a lot of hierarchies within that, um that genre of medicine too. Yeah. Um, actually, my mom, I think, wanted to become a psychologist and went to- um, You mean a psychiatrist? Or? No, I think oh. she's, because she's a, um, she has an MSW. So oh, okay. She's not a psychologist. And I think she, she was going to apply and she went and was either pregnant or had me with her or something. And the person who ran- the school oh. of psychology was like, no, no, no. I this is not that. for for like the breeder. This is not for a young woman. You belong over in social work. And she kicks herself for having listened to that yeah, person. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I, I think she did all right. So Well, yeah. And I mean helping people is helping people. It right. just, you know, I mean, you're still because uh, my aunt was and had an MSW and was a counselor. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean you're still kind of doing the same thing. Absolutely. You know, I, I mean, I wouldn't even really be able to know, uh, you know, in terms of like functional differences, I wouldn't even know what it would be, you know? Right. It's like, right. you know. Right. Well, 
Yeah, I think um, the billing is where you see yeah, the yeah, yeah. Did you take a kind of, and I don't want to jump fully ahead to motherhood, but did you take a psychological approach to motherhood? Did you did to a it, debilitating degree? Yeah, did you I, really? Yeah, I I was far too concerned with. I realized at one point I, maybe. Maybe three months in, and we had our first kid did not sleep. She woke up every forty five minutes. Real asshole, real, such a dick. <laughs> it was not pretty. Yeah, um, I remember it at the time. I remember oh, yeah. it at the time. No, yeah. I mean, poor Conan was he didn't know because his mother had six kids with you know I, I was just with a friend whose um, stepdaughter is. Uh, has a baby and and is having another one. And she said, there's so many specialists now, Mm -hmm. like the breastfeeding specialist and the sleep specialist and the, you know, the, like you can hire specialists to help them learn how to grip the pencil when they're in preschool so they get into the better kindergarten, whatever. So, yeah, so the antithesis of that is the, is the, you know, Irish Catholic mother of six. Right. And Hand the infant to the nine-year-old to <laughs> say, take care of them. Totally. Yeah. And don't complain right. ever. This is your this is your duty and your gift. And, yeah. you know, you will perform it and, and offer it up to God. And so, um, so, and I was from this sort of hothouse flower environment of, you know, the, the joke in my house was that um, my mother would say, oh, sweetie, whenever anything was at all unpleasant for me or my sister <laughs> or my father, just... Like, oh, I stubbed my toe, sweetie. You know, oh, I didn't, I didn't, I got the wrong kind of milk by mistake at the grocery store. Oh, sweet. You know, it's just maybe a little overdone empathy. Like patronizing to a certain point? No, no, she truly was, oh, I'm so sorry that happened, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I sort of thought like, oh, well, that's, I love my mom. She's a great mom. So that's how you're a good mom. And so when you have a squalling infant, you're like trying to empathize and, and, make it better mm. that, that doesn't work so well and there's a there's a healthy degree of self-preservation that has to come into the mix and that that was very hard for me to find yeah <laughs> I had to have that sort of beaten into me and I had to have um, my husband say like this this is not working the way yeah. that you're doing yeah, it yeah. and um, nobody's benefiting from this dynamic yeah, this, yeah this idea of like every time she cried I thought I was supposed to make it better and I was supposed to you know I finally realized like I, what I'm acting like her host here on earth like yeah. I am your host I will show you an excellent time always like that's not <laughs> that is not sustainable <laughs> right, really. right 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 right. Um, so I had a lot to learn. There's also a big difference between the first and the second because True. we, my ex-wife and I used to, you know, with our, with our first kid, he was, he had, he was colicky for a while and, and, Sorry. you know, was up and it was rough, rough. And, uh, I mean, you know, there, it's not, you're not in a gulag or anything, but it's, you know, it's, a, it's a basic form of torture is sleep is. deprivation. Right. So yeah, that's, you're being tortured. That's right. Um, but and we we were very macho about we're going to do this ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're not going to just throw money at a problem and hire somebody. And by the time and we we waited five years to have another kid. Mm. And when when she came around, we we're like, get a fucking nurse in here. <laughs> we're sleeping, you know, like. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and, of co- you know, she's 
It's all fine. Yeah. She's it arguably works. better put it together than the first one. Because <laughs> she wasn't absorbing the angst and Well, I, I mean, and, I'm kidding. You know, yeah. they're they're different. You know, it's apples and oranges with mm-hmm. every kid pretty yes. much. You well, know? that's the other thing. Yeah. yeah. The, the chemistry between the parent and the kid is different each it's, time. It, yeah. And they come out. They come out three quarters of the way baked. Right. You yeah. know, like I, I, thinking about looking at my children while they're still wet from being <laughs> inside their mother and realizing like from the look on their face. It's the same They're person. the same goddamn person, you know. <laughs> they're the right. same sort of, they have the same attitude, That's the same right. sort of like, uh, you know. Energy. Yeah, energy mm-hmm. that they interface with the universe mm-hmm. with, you know. Mm-hmm. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispie, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Well, what, when you're in school, what did you, I mean, did you start, what were you sort of hoping to be? I thought I was going to be a therapist or yeah. psychologist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really interested in that. And then. Um, was and that then, to, to please your mother, do you think? No, because I, I was interested in the brain and I liked what she did and, and respected it and thought I would be good at it. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I probably wouldn't have been terrible at it, but um in my sophomore year, I was reading um, a Gabriel Gar- Garcia Marquez book in this beautiful reading room in the library. And I was like, this is all I want to do. Oh, wait, that's called, that's what you want to major in. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I chose English as my major. And then, and then when I graduated from college, I knew I wanted to write and I had to get paid for it. Um, which narrowed things down yep. considerably. Yep. And so I I picked um, advertising because I thought I could never get into, you know, TV writing or film writing. I just completely wrote that off as yeah. inaccessible. What about in journalism? I, I, I'm terrible at research, which is why it's so ironic oh. that I now have created a podcast that is so research heavy. But the internet has changed that. I, I have to say if... I had to do all my research in the field, <laughs> like going to libraries or talking to other humans. That it would not happen, but yeah. the internet makes it a lot easier. So, um, yeah. So, I uh, journalism without no, I'm not in. I'd rather I can't get the facts right, so I have to make them up. I, I also do. I you know because I started out. I went to University of Illinois, and they I was heading towards the College of Communications, which it starts in your junior year. Mm-hmm. So I just had two years there of liberal arts and sciences. And then I had a meeting with a dean there who I told her what I wanted to do. And she's like, you should go to film school. You shouldn't be here. Hmm. She said, because we'll teach you how to be a reporter. And I was like, yeah, because I don't care about other stories. I only care about fake stories that either I or somebody else makes up. I don't want, you know, and I also kind of like was looking forward as being Midwestern and practical looking about like, what are the first steps of that? It'd be like 
reporting on, you know, I don't know, Green the price pictures. of corn That's or right. something, you know, and like, no thanks. No I don't want to do that. So. so wait, did you go to film school? I did. Oh. I transferred. I finished out my junior year there. Uh-huh. Uh and I and I had no intention. I was going to go to U of I for four mm. years, but they um, they didn't really have a film program. Mm-hmm. You could kind of patch together could film the corn. Well, you could you could patch together something in like the College of Fine Arts, mm-hmm. but I a that wasn't the kind of film that I was interested in right. anyway. Um, and I I looked around and there was uh you know I I thought yeah film school and so I started to look and I ended up going to Columbia College in Chicago mm-hmm. uh, which is a private arts college mm-hmm. now like a big going concern at the time it was sort of like an elevated trade school mm-hmm. well yeah I mean, that's um, but, what but that's what it is should be. Yeah, yeah exactly and and it, its competition in town was uh, the art institute mm-hmm. but. You know, that I mean, they were kids doing, you know, hour and a half movies of leaves falling kind of stuff. And that, again, I I was Chicago new wave. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and I was Chicago practical. I was like, how am I going to get a job? And there was a lot of and there was a lot of film production. There still is a lot of film production. And again, but again, it was advertising. That was. Oh, interesting. Almost everything I worked in was advertising. And. I think if I if, you know, show business hadn't worked out or if I'd been too scared to say yes to certain things, Mm -hmm. I'd probably be writing ad copy and producing television commercials today. And you'd have Um, a lot more money. I I very well may, you know, but uh, I mean, no, I can't more therapists. I've had. Well, but I've also I mean, it would be doing the same thing, but I had a lot less constraints on me. Right. You know, I got to to be way silly just for silliness sake, as opposed to like be silly to sell, you know, dash or whatever. So Um, what did I this is not the way this is supposed to go, but I'm curious. I don't care. Good. So we just got to fill an hour. However we do it is up to us. Great. Yeah. Um, It's my favorite kind of expectation. (laughs) None. Um, So you go to film school, you start in advertising and then how do you get into like proper comedy? Uh, Well, I I started, I finished film school and I had had an internship at a, a production company that did commercials. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I started working freelance in commercials, mm-hmm. did a little bit of everything, started out as a PA, uh, ended up pretty much primarily in props, mm-hmm. uh, which I enjoyed immensely. Uh, Sorry yeah, about Bill. Yeah, Bill Tall, our, our, the show's prop master, just passed away. Yesterday? This yes. morning, I thought. Yes, yesterday. Yeah, it was yesterday. Mm. And so it props right now is a sad subject. Um, but I, and it, you know, and I also, I had, I had an affinity. I, I mean, Bill was a wonderful guy and his partner, John Rao. I used to spend tons of time back in the prop room mm. back at Rockefeller Center because it was in the bowels of the building and only partially because at the time I smoked and we and once the building, you couldn't smoke in the building. Because when I started there, you could smoke anywhere in that oh, building. Wow. So crazy that to think that within my lifetime, there was a time when people would walk down the halls Mad of an Mad. office building. Yeah, smoking yeah. cigarettes mm-hmm. everywhere. Planes. Um, to yeah, doctor's planes. offices. I, when, when Sarah and I went on our honeymoon in 1994, we were on a plane where people were still smoking yep. cigarettes in the back, yep. which is bananas because yep. you get Never all smelling like sense. smoke no matter yeah. what, you know. No. Um, I mean, I've noticed lately there was somebody, I was at my kid's school and I was at the far end of the gym 
and I could see out the open back door. Somebody had lit up a cigarette 20 feet past the door and I was seeing them put the lighter away and I could smell it. Yeah. Like it's just so yeah. crazy. Um, but I, so I used to hang out with them all the time, but also because I knew props. Like yeah. I was like I had ended up in that in that line of work and it's it's the most fun job on the set. You get mm-hmm. you get a, you know you have like a crazy hoarder's closet yeah. full of weird junk. Yeah, and and in production sense, they'd send you out to just buy stuff. So you get this kind of like yeah. vicarious consumption thrill of they put three grand in your pocket and say you know oh you're propping out a dentist's office. Well, and especially buy stuff, on a you know? show like. Late night where it's silly props. Absolutely. Like you can't get silly you enough. Gotta, you got to be right. And i wondering about the the sort of molding of my children's minds when we used to go visit their father at work and we'd walk down the hall and invariably there would be the craziest shit in the yeah. hallway. And they're just with the saucer eyes taking it all in. Yeah, yeah. And like, what is that going to do? It's probably good. You yeah. Know? It's like stretching their understanding of... Just they can accept all sorts of weird stuff because yeah. they've seen it forever. But Well, and it makes the world seem magical, too. Yeah, I think, absolutely. Too. You know, like there is like yeah, – like, I always love the idea. I mean, in you know, it's kind of in like Pee-wee's Big Adventure. You know, there's like somebody dressed as a Roman guard yeah, and somebody right. dressed as a spaceman and somebody, right. dre- you know, is dressed as Marie Antoinette. And It's no big thing. And it's no big thing. And that's, you know, that's together. the lunchroom. And that was that's always right. the picture you had. And what I loved about our show is that at Warner Brothers, if a cowboy or a robot went to the commissary, it was probably from our show. That's right. You know, like it was like if there was somebody, you know, dressed up like the Pope. Uh-huh. They were working for us, right. you know. Yeah. Um, or a bear. Yeah, yeah. I remember, I feel like there was a camel in the hallway one time when we came by. Probably. Probably. Yep. probably. Um, but yeah, then I, I worked in props and then I, but I started taking improv classes in Chicago and then that just kind of organically grew mm-hmm. to, you know, a show that we started, went on the road and went to New York and went to LA and, you know. And do you feel when you're doing improv, do you feel sort of, calmed in a way that nothing else does for you? Do you have that experience? No, I don't. Well, first of all, I'm very, very rusty from improv. Mm. Uh, uh, You know, I mean, not from improv. I'm I'm rusty in in my improv skills. And I'm not a true believer like many people are in terms of that they want to still. I don't, I can take or leave improv. But you do it. Like, I'm just thinking, I mean, the way that Conan talked about working with you was sort of like, you put him at ease instantly the first time that you guys had a conversation and started, I think you were playing already, just having a Robert Robert Smigel, the first time he did an on-camera test, which was just to basically look at him. Like, there was nothing even planned. It was just... It was on Bob Costas's later set, and Robert uh, said, "Hey, go sit by him, keep him company." Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if he—I'm sure he was at that. Uh, it was a—I throughout that entire process, I had no idea like that it was an audition, uh, and like I mean, I just was like, they said go do this, and I just kind of there's a simpleness right. to me of like, okay, and it makes sense. Yeah, go talk to him, keep him yeah. company, because yeah. oh, that son of a bitch needs keeping company. They'll leave him to his own devices. <laughs> But he, uh, uh, so, but you know, like Jeff Ross at one point after we'd been doing test shows said to me, well, you got the job. <laughs> and I was like, 
I thought I already had the job. Oh, no. oh shit. I, you know, good thing I didn't know. Um, I mean, not that it would have made a big difference, but I just, I, I mean, oh, I just kind of, I always just take people at their, at the right. face value. And I, but I mean, that's I'm, improv. I don't know. I mean, not yeah. to over ascribe to it, but yeah, I yeah. do think that there's a, just because I get so anxious about, I think that's anyway how my social anxiety presents is like, uh, what if something happens and I don't know how to respond? Right. But that in improv is that you just don't worry about that. Mm -mm. Like, you can't. It's a practice. I mean, mm -hmm. you have a facility for it to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, but then you over practice, you get right. kind of used to it. Because, I mean, I was just talking about this the other day. I, you know, I was on a TV show for a million years that would go out, you know, on TV and never sweated it. I mean, right. beyond the initial sort of getting used to it period, which I don't even remember how long right. that was, whether it was months or years. Um, but, you know, doing that show was like going, you know, if somebody said, come down to my office and, and I want to chat with you, mm -hmm. it was the same sort of mm -hmm. like, okay, yeah, here we go. Right. Shows, Not heavy yeah, lift. Music, here we go. Let's, you know, I'm going to exist in this moment and yeah. and be myself and have fun. And, uh, but, you know, a, a, later in life, and I mean, recently, going and saying, like, somebody says, come do this improv thing mm -hmm. in front of 40 people in a little black box on Franklin Avenue. Mm -hmm. And I am nervous. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I, you know, I kind of, I, I have a, a lot of friends who are still into improv. Mm -hmm. And I just, I was like, I don't, my, my thing, and I've said, I just said this the other day on this podcast that I would just felt like, why would I leave the house to go get nervous somewhere? <laughs> you know, like if I'm going to leave the house, it's going to be for something fun right. that I really enjoy. And like the last time that I did a full long form improv show, it was thrown at me at the last second. So I didn't mm. have a lot of time to think mm. about it. I did fine. Mm -hmm. I did well. Mm -hmm. I did not. I did not feel like, oh, shit, I really sucked and people have mm -hmm. an expectation from TV mm -hmm. guy being good. I did very fine. But after it was done, I was like, oh, I'm not Enough I'm not going to doing that for a long time. I mean, part of that obviously is just as we get older, it gets harder to imagine leaving yes. the house. But yes. and you're more and also aware. Your brain isn't as supple. No, your brain isn't yeah. as supple. But I wonder if it also has something to do with this era of heightened attention, you know, like everybody's under scrutiny and yeah. the, the fear that may have not been present in a different era of accidentally saying something that could maybe oh, go yes. the wrong way. I, that that, does, that doesn't enter into my thing. Okay, my thing is just, uh, I w the embarrassment of not being good on yeah. stage in mm. front of people who have mm. come to see a show. Mm. And, and, and it's weird too, because why those stakes should be higher than, Television. On TV. And I, that, that I think, is just a question of comfort. Right. I have, you know, I, I'm attached to rooms in terms of my mm. comfort. Like going mm. in our studio, mm. I could do that. At Largo, I could do that. Mm. There's different places where I'm very comfortable and just kind of – but in, in a new setting – it can be kind Anything of nerve-wracking. Yeah, it can be nerve-wracking. And even then, I don't even know when it's going to hit me. I don't mm -hmm. even know when I'm going to be like, oh, shit. Um, but it also, too, it's a it's a, a brainwashing that you do on yourself of uh, compartmentalizing your mm -hmm. focus onto just doing this thing and not worrying about mm, what's happening outside. That gets outside. harder as you yeah. get older. Yeah, yeah. It's... It, 
you know, it's it's again, it's a it's a it's a thing you process and mm-hmm. you get to. So, mm-hmm. so advertising. Mm. Um, yes. How was that for you? Um, a lot. Of and what took great. you? To, did you start in Seattle mm-hmm. in I advertising and, and move to New York? Yep. And Seattle was actually it's it's actually a great. I don't know if it still is, but it was a great town to do advertising in because oh it really was, yeah it. Um, San Francisco, Austin, Boston, and Seattle at that time were all similar in that they had a relatively um, creative kind of um, uh, predisposition almost. There's a lot of creativity mm-hmm. in those places. And then smaller agencies, smaller probably. Yeah. Yeah. So you were more often dealing with the person who was empowered to make the decision. Oh, I see. And so when I moved to New York, um, just because I wanted to live in New York and I I didn't want to go there for advertising, but I did want to go that's there. That's the so way, that's yeah. That's the way. And, uh, and it was so much more bureaucratic and so many, you know, big accounts that you would just pitch and pitch and pitch and pitch and pitch and never – my partner and I called ourselves the queens of cardboard. We just kept pitching ideas and – and even if they like them, be like, yeah, okay, we got to get 17 other people to sign off on this. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, well, then no, that's never going to happen. Yeah. So I got very frustrated with that part of it. Um, but when I was first doing it in Seattle, I did a lot of um, radio spots in the beginning, mm-hmm. which is great. They had Nordstrom as a client, my, my agency, and they ran radio spots all the time. And so it was just the new people got put on that. Um, and TV were the big plum assignments. So people cared less about radio, but I loved it because there were little, you know, minute long radio theater dramas mm-hmm. that, so I got to, I learned a lot about writing dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned about uh, ideas and how yeah. to present an idea and creative economy. Form. I imagine too. Definitely yeah. that. And, uh, and joke writing, not that I'm good at joke writing, but like uh, something can seem really funny in a small room and then you take it to a bigger room and and other people are involved and suddenly it's not funny and you yeah. have to, you know, um, I, I don't know how to explain any of that, but um, you get a crash course in it when you're, when you're doing those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was, uh, and then, then I, I got, so I did it for, I think like eight years and, um, and uh, it was a good job. It was a really good job. But then I was getting really frustrated, and I really wanted to write fiction. And so I applied to graduate school. And uh, where at? Um, I applied to. Um, I, I wasn't really sure if I wanted to stay in New York. I decided to kind of try my luck with New York because mm-hmm. it's very it's hard to live in New York. Period. But mm-hmm. if you're living in New York while you're in graduate school and not earning, you anything, gotta like, have money. That's yeah. not gonna help. So it was a little bit torn. Happened to. Meet my husband right at the right time, so that was lucky. Um, so I was able to to make that change. But um, I applied to the new school. I applied to Sarah Lawrence. I applied to Columbia. I don't think I applied to Iowa because that's that's the big one. But I yeah. I didn't want to move to Iowa. Um, so I got into uh, I got into all of those programs, and I chose Columbia, mm-hmm. and uh, and loved it. I mean, yeah. going to graduate school after you've been in the working world for almost a decade is beyond 
exciting. And yeah. like you can't, and people are skipping classes and so people who come right from college and they're still in that mode. Yeah, they're yeah. skipping. You're like, what are you talking? Why would you ever yep. not want to come be here? It's so amazing. <laughs> I'm only talking about stuff I'm interested in. Yeah. I don't have to go to meetings about, bull- I don't have to keep a time card. I don't have to yeah. talk to client, like all that shit. So, um, I really, really loved it. Um, and I did a little bit of teaching as part of it, which I loved too. And then um, had our kids and was still finishing my thesis. And then finally, when I was done with that, you know, we had little kids and we were moving here. And so yeah. writing, writing got shelved for a little while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've written a number of plays, yeah? Yeah, so then when I started writing again, when, after when did, we, Yeah, why well, plays from fiction? I moved out of New York City and started writing plays, because that's the way you're supposed to do it, right? Yeah, I, uh-huh. <laughs> Get out of the mecca I, of theater and start trying to work yeah. in theater. You should go back to writing ad copy just for fun. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, when when... Our younger kids started all day school. I finally had, which is in 2000, we moved here in 2009. So I think it was 2011. And I finally had um, time. And I was like, oh my God, I have to write something. And I wanted to write something of some kind of length because I had written short stories mostly. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's so insubstantial. And I'm not really sure I ever write a good one anyway. And a novel is still kind of beyond my reach. I don't know how people can conceptualize and then um, complete a novel. That's a lot. But I was like, a play's like 75 pages. I feel like <laughs> that's that's doable yeah. somehow. And there's and a I, lot of blank space on the page when you're true. putting dialogue down. And it's a lot of dialogue. And I'd taken a playwriting course at Columbia as an elective with Ellen McLaughlin, who was the um, – she was she's one of Tony Kushner's muses. She oh. was the original angel in Angels America. Oh, she's, wow. And she's this phenomenal – theater artist and teacher and her she was it was my favorite class that I took um the whole time I was in grad school so I was like I think I and plays start from um conflict and argument so yeah I was struggling with something in my head and I was like I can't get over this thing I keep kind of having this argument in my head maybe I should write a play about it so that was that was what I did um and it was really bad that play um but I wrote it I wrote the whole thing and that was the beginning of um writing plays yeah so I've been doing you know workshops and festivals and I I've said to people I want I would love to go back to grad school and get an MFA in in theater but that's not happening so I'm trying to cobble together my own why MFA. why why oh why do you think it's not happening well I mean when I was trying to do I mean, it, I had younger kind kids. Of, yeah, they're kind of bigger. Now they're though. older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now I now I might be able. Maybe I don't know. It it also. Um, I think after, at a certain point you get enough practical experience that it takes the place of what grad school I would offer. But at that time when I knew nothing, yeah, not that I know much now, but I know a little bit more than nothing. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, it's like running away to join the circus, and I had kids who were right. under. Eight, so that was not happening. Also, I, you know, my, that job that you guys had was a real um, organizer. Like that job was so inflexible, the mm-hmm. schedule, and it dictated so much where you live, how often you can leave where you yeah. live, when you get to be home, how much you need to sleep before you go back to the place where mm-hmm. you do the job. Like we kind of organized our whole life around the demands of that job, um, and that changed really recently. So we're still kind of, I think, sorting through. 
what is possible now yeah. that you don't have to be at the studio five days a week. Right, right. Um, and you get more than, you know, two weeks off at a time. Oh, yeah. When we yeah. went on our – when we got married, it was one of those – that was back in the NBC days. And so that was um, w- one of those winter breaks. Like, you guys never got more than two weeks off at a time. And, we, and not – and only in the summertime, only right. like in August. August. Yes. And, which and, is like when my I took my family to Japan once. Right. Which was could. a fantastic trip. But going to Japan in August is like going to Tampa in right. August. Right. Is, you know, but that's I, when you have the time to make yeah, that turnaround. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we did it um, in January and it was a week-long break. And so he had to get – we did it in Seattle. So he had to get to Seattle – for the rehearsal dinner, the rehearsal, the wedding, the whatever. And then we had our honeymoon. It's like, okay, now you got to go do that and then check that box before you get back to New York to be yeah. back on, you know, on the set. So um, I remember the first time that we had three weeks off in August. I mean, Conan used to say, like, I wonder what it's like to have three weeks off. I wonder what it's like, which is, yeah, by yeah, the way, yeah. like join the rest of the population. Yeah, like nobody yeah. who gets right, three right, weeks right. off. Well, um, and also, uh, I mean, you had my a lot feeling, of weeks during the year. Yeah, my feeling with him sometimes is like, I bet you could swing it if you pushed it, considering well, your name's in the goddamn title. <laughs> well, for many years, I think that was not the case. It yeah, probably yeah, did, yeah. did turn into that. But um, but yeah, they, that was that was uh, anyway. So we were still living under those constraints, but then also like little kids and all that stuff. So I was sort of like trying to cobble together my own homegrown MFA in theater and, and, um, which probably maybe I learned more doing that way. I don't know. Cause I I really was, had to be active about it. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been doing, but you know, the theater, (laughs) it's, I don't know if it's how it compares to TV or film in terms of how long it takes a person average to emerge. <laughs> yeah. But it seems like it takes an average of a decade for oh, someone wow. who's working constantly. Um, sometimes there are exceptions to that, obviously, like, you know, and certainly historically there have been a bunch of exceptions to that. But but it really takes a long time yeah. for someone to gain any kind of traction. And break through. Yeah. yeah. Even just in that industry, forget yeah. like the public. So yeah. So I'm um, I've been an emerging playwright now for quite some time, and whether or not I'll actually emerge, yeah, I don't yeah, know. But yeah. it's been fun trying. Yeah, I see. That would be. I just don't have the patience, the patience, and the attention span. It's like in a way. I don't even know that I do either. When I've written pilots and then get notes mm-hmm. and back, by the time it's time to really then. For the pilot to be passed on and sold to somebody, I'm done with it. Yeah, right. I'm no longer even interested in it because they've just kind of needled you to death on it. And I just, you know, and then I end up getting be like, you know, if there's too many notes, I'm like, fine, screw it. Never mind. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I don't even care anymore. I'll show you. Right. Yeah. Way to go, Andy. You really really showed them by not caring about your own project. I had a friend who used to say, I'll show me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of those. It's, yeah, but it's, so that daily that daily product really does have its upsides of what you guys did. Oh, uh, absolutely. It's like Coney, you say we're 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 making pictures in the sand. Yes, and that that to me is terrifying because it takes me so long to figure out what I'm doing and to get it to the place where I'm happy with it that I need it to be a little bit more indelible. I need mm-hmm. it to feel like maybe someone will perform this more than one time. That this will have a life in a different age. Yeah, maybe. Don't know if any of it will, but yeah, I, try. you get 
I mean, again, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's kind of suited to my personality. Mm-hmm. Like I, when I started working freelance, I liked the different faces, different places aspect mm-hmm. of it. Um, and so that's why, you know, like being on one show for all of those years was not something I would have chosen. Ass- or, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, probably chosen, but also just like I wouldn't have pictured that for myself. Right. Um, and like my, the metaphor I always use is we're laying tracks for a train that you can hear coming. Like it's, <laughs> right. it's like oh, just over right. that hill. We right. better get these tracks laid. Right. You can't which, overthink it. Yeah. Which, which is, is a, which is kind of a blessing in that sense. And, and coming back to work on the tonight show, uh, with Conan was, you know, I had, you know, I left in 2000 and I had a very kind of like, I got to go out into the world and see what I can do Mm. on my own because, Mm. you know, I mean, one of the remarkable things about the two of us working together is that it's very difficult for people with similar skill sets Mm -hmm. to sit next to each other and do the thing that they do differently. Yeah. Differently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially in concert. yeah, Yeah. In concert, especially like, you know, it's like, Having two lead singers, yeah, you know, it's just it, it. It's Anne and Nancy Wilson. Although one of them does play the guitar, <laughs> right? Exactly. So. Yeah, yeah. Ellen, he plays the guitar, but he's also like the lead singer. So, but okay. I, but you know, I mean, it's it it's remarkable that we got through that. But that's also too like I think I needed to go away and mm-hmm. do some other stuff. Mm-hmm. And but the main thing when I came back, it was like I can think of something in the morning and it'll be on TV, right? That night. That's pretty incredible. It's crazy. Yeah. Nobody gets that. I mean, such a small percentage yeah. uh, of people get that. And, it, you know, and it might not matter to you. Like if, if you're if you're. I'm an overthinker. Yeah. So if, for me, it's like terrifying. Right. And I'm thinking, too, of like now anyone listening to this who's, you know, dealing in YouTube at all is like, why wait till tonight? Like, yes. It's just now. It's right. just happening right. as it's happening. Absolutely. Which terrifies me. I can't even tell you yeah, how yeah. much. Well, that I'm just, uh, that I don't, I'm just too old to, right. I still am living an analog kind of, the, just the structural nature of television and, and entertainment to me is is just antiquated. Right. Um, because... I, you know, somebody, somebody that's like far more successful than me is on YouTube and I'll hear, oh, they're on YouTube. Like, oh, oh gosh, a small time. But it's like, no dummy. They're. That's the mainstream. That's what's happening. That's the big time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's. Or TikTok really. Right. I know. I I can't even keep track. I know. And well, and there's, there's so many things. That, that I'm just like, how do you make money at that? Where does the money come from? I mean, podcasts for that matter. Terrifying. Like, you know, when people sell podcasts for gazillions of dollars, I'm like, well, how does that, how does that happen? Has anyone yeah. checked to make yeah, sure it's profitable? Yeah, is it really, like, is there really that much money in-, well, in go back to advertising. Yeah, yeah. Advertising. Again, but I mean, but it's like- are they selling that many socks? Yeah, you know, I, 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 they <laughs> well, must I guess, be. Okay, Thank okay. God. I trust. I trust that it's something there. Yeah. Well, tell me about uh, the new podcast. Uh, the new podcast is his. What's it called? It's and, called Significant Others, mm-hmm. and it's historical. 
and um, which is right on brand for Team Coco. It is not comedic. Uh, well, but they need to branch out too, you know. Yeah, I mean, sure, why not? So. You know, stretch the brand a little. Um, I, I'm feeling badly though for the people who like just followed because it was a Team Coco property, and then we're like, what? It, when's it going to get funny? But anyway, yeah. So. Um, it is telling stories of people who have been sort of overlooked historically, like um, especially um, people who were closely related to someone who was of significance. So mm-hmm. um, Vera Bokov, for example, who um, saved the manuscript of Lolita from the trash from the – her husband was going to burn it twice. Oh, wow. And she was like, no, 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 we're keeping that. And she was massively important in his life overall. Um, and they have a fascinating story. So – or Mary Lincoln I think is out uh, next. And um, that was actually Conan's suggestion because – um, and I was like, I mean, everybody knows Mary Lincoln. And yeah, he she's said, cuckoo. Right. And yeah. he was like, no, but she was actually really formative for him in the early years. They were they were quite a – like he may not have been president if he hadn't been married, right. her, she which I hadn't him. known. Yeah. So – and she had a lot of connections to the South, which, yeah. which helped him. So, um, so it's just eight episodes this season. Um, they're all along those lines. Not all spouses, not all, um, you know, stories of the woman behind the man. I didn't want it to fall into that sure. trope or just like, oh, you know, we're uh, revealing that this person's actually secretly been an asshole all this time. Like there's some elements of that. Sure. Yeah. You can't avoid it. But that's not the and point of it. Fun. Right. Yeah. Well, it can be very fun. Um so, so yeah, that's it. And we have um, great people who are voicing the the subjects for us, like Nick and Megan did the Tolstoy, Nick and, Offerman, and, and, and Megan Mullally. Mullally, yep. yeah. And uh, um, Dan Bukatinsky did uh, um, Vladimir Nabokov, and Darcy Carden does Vera Nabokov. Oh wow! And Lisa Kudrow does Elia Kazan's wife. Um, so, and there's some other fun Jack McBrayers in there a little bit, you know. Really great um, people. We were very lucky to have so many lovely friends. I'm taking all the friends that Conan sure. has needed and then gained yes. over all this time, and and just using them. Yes, that's essentially what I'm that's, doing. That's the and world. Welcome to podcasting. Yeah, I know. Listen, I I love leaving the house these days. So <laughs> we can do it over Zoom. <laughs> I'd be oh, do I'm, it at home. Can we do it here? <laughs> we uh, can also do it here. Yeah, let me yeah. get out of the house. Uh, well, that's great. And is it? I mean, how long does each episode take you to? Right. And how, oh. are they half hours? Are they hours? Are the they? episodes are between 30, 40 minutes. Yeah. And then the follow-up. That's the sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, and then the follow-up episode is usually 25, mm-hmm. 20, 25. Um, and I don't even know how long they take me to write because they take me so long to write. Oh, yeah. It is, I thought when I first talked to Adam Sachs about doing this, um, I thought, you know, six months to do them all, mm-hmm. maybe nine if I'm really going to be persnickety. That was a year and a half ago. Mm. <laughs> it it has been um, a bit of a hair shirt, but all of my own making. So yeah, yeah. It, it takes it, – they're very labor intensive. Yeah. That's why I like this podcast is just chatting yeah, because I can't – I just – homework? No, like I why like, would I sign I, on for homework? I literally was like I've assigned myself eight essays, yeah. long-form essays that for no class, no degree, <laughs> nobody's ever going to care. And uh, why am I doing this? I don't know. Yeah. That's uh, you got to do something. It's, you you know? do got to do something. Yeah, you got to do something. Yeah. So. 
Um, well, anything else on the horizon uh, for you, like besides, you know, getting the kids out of the house? Get, get rid of those two. <laughs> get them out of there. Um, you're an empty nester halfway. But right? Pretty close. Yeah. My daughter's yeah. 16, uh, you know, and she's but, you know, she doesn't live with me full time because of the mm-hmm. divorce. But but yeah, we, what, but it's, you know, Will's. He went going, and then he came back. He and then did, he, yeah, he's in it. He's back here, but he lives uh-huh. in an apartment. And, okay. and I mean, you know, he's 20 minutes away, but I might not see him for two weeks. Right. I mean, we'll text and so forth. I feel forth, like but that in the house sometimes. Sometimes. our daughter sleeps so much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there is, I definitely am starting to kind of feel like, well, okay, you're just going to. Do your own thing. You're just going to be a big old grown up adult person and go have a life. And 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 then I try to remind myself, how much did you want to talk to your mom and dad when you were 21? Right. How much time did you really want to hang out with them? Right. No, they got to push off the wall. They got to get away. But then they come back is what I'm told. I'm I'm hoping. Yeah, I'm hoping. So I my girlfriend has a, a two and a half year old. Oh, so I have a two and a half year old in my back pocket. Uh, just to keep me young, uh, um, which is, a, it's, there's a lot of like, oh yeah, this, oh uh-huh. yeah, right. I remember this. Yeah. Um, but it's also like, um, it's kind of great. It's, it's fantastic. I mean, I love her. She's the sweetest and she's Aww. smart. Um, but she also too, there is something to these, like there's been no hammer. Right. And I'm now becoming the hammer. Oh, you know, interesting. I'm the one that's like, and I'll, you know, she had a big freak out the other day because I wanted her to hold my hand as she's crossing the street and uh, a car is coming uh-huh. and she's no, she wants to do it or no, uh-huh. she wants to walk on her own and then has a freak out. Yeah. And, you know, I'm saying to her, uh, you, and this is something my ex-wife used to say to me when they were little, because I always would like reason what you know i'd say yeah. like you can't do this because of that right and she'd be like why are you even bothering i'm like right. it's for me right. it's more for me than for them and i but I, but i'm like there's some day where it's gonna break through and and i still kind of believe that but like i you know i'm telling her i'm like you're not in charge right it's not good for you to be in, in charge they yeah they charge. i mean you know <laughs> i'm sitting there saying this to a crying two and a half year old i mean you know i'm not yelling at her or anything yeah. but but you know she has not had she's not she like the the limit has been always a little bit fungible like right. a little bit right. like it can be pushed and pushed and pushed right. whereas i'm like you know and hardline yeah, yeah and my girlfriend you, you know she she's had her single you know she she's yeah. raised her on her own and it was, the first time i ever kind of interceded in anything mm-hmm. my girlfriend after after it was over, I said, was that okay? Do you mind that? I-? She's like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. She's like, she's like do it. She's like, that was sexy. <laughs> when you when you said, you know, enough, you're going to bed. It's a very different energy. Yeah. 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 No, and you need, you, yeah. I mean, you need both. And yeah. uh, I can't do the stuff that, that my kid's father can do. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And that I, isn't to say that it's irreplaceable, you know. True. That, like, no, people get Two women through. can't or two men can't. Well, but, I, yeah. I mean, I think that there are different energies involved in all, you know, all those different relationships. It, it doesn't have to be on gender lines, but um, but we happen to have a fairly traditional setup. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it took me a while to to appreciate the difference rather than just trying to stiff arm him and do it all myself. You yeah, know, yeah. And, uh, 
Um, and now I'm almost too reliant on it. I think <laughs> now, go talk to your father. Yeah, go talk to yeah, go talk to the warden. Yeah, I'm just exactly. I'm just the occupational I just make therapist. All the food you love best. That's all. That's all I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the, you know, the third of these three questions are mm-hmm. that it's that's the what you what you've learned. Um, you know, the advice, the the epithet. Uh, <laughs> No, not epithet. Epitaph. Epitaph. That's what I meant. You know, the thing on your tombstone. Oh, my God. Because, you, you know, you, you're going to have money for lots of letters. So you can make it long, too. <laughs> can it be like motion picture? Can I have like a. <laughs> Absolutely. Have like a little a, run. A gif. It's, I would not. I bet you that's already happening. Uh, oh, sadly, I bet I'm you sure there's like, right. you know. No, I actually, I, I don't. I don't believe in in. I mean, more power to anyone who wants to do whatever they're doing. But for me, I sort of am into the like scattering and the disposing of yes, the me too. physical form. And I read this book um, uh, about Skyberry. Well, it wasn't a whole book about it, but the, I was reading some book. I think it was about witches, which was for a, like a TV pitch that went nowhere. Yeah. Um, uh, the stuff you cram in your mind to try and make something happen, mm-hmm. you know, for no good reason. But they were talking about. I think it's called Sky Burial. Have you heard of this? Mm-hmm. Where they put the body under some sort of um, mesh so that birds can come oh. and pluck out the parts and distribute them. And it's sort of like a natural decomposition process that's open to nature, but not so open that it's problematic because I think there's some. It causes a health risk or I something. Think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets spread to the right. wrong places, right, or the big right. chunks. I don't know, whatever. But I was like, eh, in a very unsentimental way, that sounded very yeah. interesting to me. I, you know. I just my feelings about what to do with my body after I'm dead is like don't waste any real estate. Right, you right, know? absolutely. And, and I, you know, although I've always told anybody who might have occasion to be in charge of it, you can do. I mean, I'm telling you what I want, but you can do whatever the fuck you want. I, I won't be, I won't here. be here. I won't be here, mm-hmm. and I won't care. You know, if you want to, you know, feed me to polar bears, that actually like the notion of becoming protein for another living thing that I'm like, OK, that makes sense. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, Organ I'm donor. Great. Yeah. Mine right now is just, you know, burn me up and dump me into water somewhere. Right. That's right. That's fine. And then I re- you, you can go to the water and look and sure. say, yeah, there's there he is. He's in there somewhere. <laughs> But anyway, what do you, I mean, aside from aside from uh, not wasting real estate with your remains, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's my highest ambition. What's your, what's your motto? What's your, you know? Oh God, I'm very bad at this kind of thing. You don't um, have to be good at it. Uh, you know? uh, let's see. I I mean, one of the things that I really like about the podcast, and that I hope people appreciate about it, um, that feels a little bit like a an antidote to all of the crazier shit that we're all living through is that just this is the biggest oversimplification in the world, but like everything's complicated. People are complicated and it's become um, I think the human brain tries to look for shortcuts. Right. And so we're always trying to find, you know, this person is good or bad. This this, you know, political party is right or wrong. This candidate Mm -hmm. is good or bad. You know, all that stuff are. You just want to be done with that decision-making and move on to the next thing. And so you you try and boil things down, um, and, and everything gets oversimplified, and then um, we all get into trouble. So I think to just – I'm I'm 
I always try to stay very uh, open to the complexity of everything and, and um, you know, appreciating the fact that even though these great characters that I'm focusing on in history had difficult relationships with people who they took advantage of, you know, that doesn't mean that it was all awful, right? Yeah, and that yeah. they were products of their time and that we're products of our time and um, I guess that would be it. Lately, I've been for some reason thinking, I think, because I'm starting to have those like generational um, tension moments with my kids where they have a, a different perspective on a lot of things than I do just because of um, what they're growing up inside yeah. of. And I, I think we're all indoctrinated by our time. Yes. And I think that there's often a sense that um, I, I didn't have a sense of that until I got to be older. Um I just thought people are the same all the time, just mm -hmm. keep making new ones and we're all living in the same world yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But it really um And there's know. some truth to that. Yeah. But yeah, they're but yeah, they yeah. you know, but we're still humans, we but make yeah, the same yeah. mistakes. But Mike, you know, I learn perspectives from my sixteen year old daughter uh that I would not know on my own and that I am ultimately happy to learn. Mm -hmm. It has sometimes been Difficult and painful. Yeah, a real crabby process where right. I just, you know, and I, and I mean, just social media for me was a lot of that. Like when people learning that things I did or jokes I made or words I used that I, that's not right. cool anymore. Right. And, and at first being like, how dare you, which feels so like Margaret Dumontish, you right. know, and like when my daughter we're having, you know, we have had numerous discussions about gender and the complexity of, mm -hmm. of, of the way that we address gender and sex now. And I, you know, there was a lot of like, who the, who are you to question, you know, I'm in, you know, when I calmed down from that and I'm like, no, okay, let's sort it out. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, there's a lot. And also it's like it's not always just like right or wrong. It's like, right. well, no, that's what is now. That's what yeah. That's what exists. It's the world we're all grappling yeah. with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I think what I get nervous about is when, with the great new perspective, can sometimes come because when I was young, this is how I felt, and I think a lot of young people feel this way that like you've cracked the code. You're the first one to figure this problem yeah. out, and there's sort of a. Um, for some reason right now, the, the newer perspectives can tend to get much more moral authority. And sometimes that's warranted and sometimes it isn't. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's just new language, you know, yeah. and sometimes it's language that's crowding out an older truth, you know, and it's you can be adding to the truth of it, but you don't have to negate the old truth. Anyway, I'm getting very esoteric now, but, um, but I think that uh, I, I'm really excited about all of the new conversations that are being had on, on you know, um, on a big, big scale right now, but I get very nervous when they are oversimplified. Yeah. Well, Liza, thank you so much uh, for spending uh, this time with me. And everybody, uh, check out the new podcast, Significant Others. Um, I will. I haven't. I haven't. Whether yet. you like it or uh, not. No, I will. I will. I haven't yet. And I, but I, I mean, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, Excited! To I feel do like so. you're gonna like it. I think you, I, yeah, I think yeah. you might find it very interesting. No, I, I know where to find it, so I might as well. <laughs> and I think it's probably the right amount between you know here and driving home. Like that was the goal is like <laughs> slotted into a yeah a drive home or a grocery shop or so, making dinner. Or Andy Daly told me that 
they did that 35 minutes is the average commute. So that's like there you a go. good spot for the average Perfect. podcast. Yeah. Cause I think I, we're in there, right? Yeah. No, no, no. We're, yeah. Not this one. Not this no, one. Mine. No, this one. This is, this is off the this rails. This is a meandering. Well, I used to, when I first started this thing, it could be like an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes. And I always told myself, no, so many podcasts are too long and too meandering. And, and I try and keep it tight to an hour now, which we haven't done, but you know, we got on <laughs> you some You know what? Tangents. We can trim some fat. Uh, I have some ideas. Maybe. Or maybe <laughs> just, you know, listen to this in two goes, people. Uh, well, again, thank you, Liza. My pleasure. And thank Thanks all of you out me. there. Oh, I'm happy to have you. And all of you, I'm happy to have you listen. So uh, come back next week and listen to some more. I've got a big, big love. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blair, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my loves are growing? Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. 